Thank you for joining us today at Christian Worship Center. We pray that the word given would be able to bless you and all those who hear it. To discover more about our church, visit our website at cwcirvinky.com. Thank you again for joining us. Now prepare your heart for today's message. Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 1. Matthew 28, starting at verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was, li was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him, for fear of him and became like dead men. Wow. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. You know, there's a lot, a lot of religions in the world. There's a ton of, of religious thinking. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ separates our faith from every other type of religion in the world. Amen? It's the fact that our leader, that the grave could not hold our leader, that, the, that, that, that sin could not hold our leader. That nothing could hold our great champion of love. That, that, that the grave itself could not hold him. That the Roman, the, the Roman guard could not keep him, could not keep his love and his great, the great reality of who he is bound up in a tomb. But that on the third day he arose, amen. And that is the very core message of what we believe. And we need to have a very, I was just like, I, just, I, I was amazed at how, how clearly uh, Riley brought that forward today. And, and really, what I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to build on that. Let me, I, I want to bring you about three simple thoughts about what has happened over the last three days. You see, we start with Good Friday, and we move into, move into Saturday and move into Sunday. And literally, we often, I'm not going to, I'm not going to base my sermon on Saturday, but there are some things I believe that happened through that whole process of time. And the first thing I want to say is this, that when we talk about the resurrection, as we begin to talk about Jesus rising from the dead, you've got to understand this, that sin's price was paid. Sin's price was paid. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for sin. And you know what? It's oftentimes, we often think of sin in terms of plurality. We often think about it like, you know, we break it down and we categorize and we even, we have, uh, we, we have degree in our own religious thinking oftentimes, even though we don't say it, we really believe it and act like it. We have all kinds of hierarchy about sin. And we categorize, you know, we categorize sin and, and we tend to treat some sin worse than others and we tend to alienate certain types of sin, but we don't alienate. But let me tell you something, with God, sin is sin. Sin is sin. Are y'all with me today? And Jesus bore the sin of the whole human race. What is sin? At its very essence, it is rebellion against God. That is what sin is. Sin, sin always brings forth death. 
Sin is a lack of faith in God. Sin, sin is considering human strength and human might greater than God's strength and God's might. In fact, but, but here's what I want you to say. God does not look at sin in the sense of plurality. He looks at it in the sense of singularity. It's one. It is a nature. You see, when you really get to understand the gospel, it goes beyond. And that's where we miss it, when we constantly try to literate and lay out and line up and number off sin, sins. Because to God, sin is sin. And it's a nature that it tells us in Romans 5 came to us through our father Adam. Sin was an inherited nature. The Bible says that sin came through Adam and that sin was passed to every man and every woman that would be born on the face of this earth. That sin would come through man. That's why Jesus would be born of a virgin because a man would have nothing to do with his birth. He would be born of a virgin. He would come. It would be the seed of God. It would be a seed that was not tainted with the destructive character of sin sin did not pass through to jesus jesus was born of a virgin sin did not pass through but sin was imputed to every man born of natural beings sin is our character it is who we are apart from christ amen apart from him and oftentimes, you know what we do? We get what we do in the church, we fail to recognize that and we begin to we make our lists and we make our characterizations and we and we set one up, one down, and we, you know, we we treat well, that sin's not quite as bad as that one. So and those that commit this, but God has said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the greatest, one of the greatest realities of this weekend is that sin's price has been paid. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for sin. John 1, 29. You see, John the Baptist, the great prophet, Jesus said of this man, there was none born greater of woman than him. And John, when he would first see Jesus coming, Jesus is coming to be baptized of his cousin, John. And, G and John would say this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Does not say sins. He, John the Baptist Simon said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away sin. The sin of the world. The sin of the world. You see, here's reality what happens. And I don't know exactly when this occurs. I know, I, I do believe this. I believe it began to occur as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because the Bible says, you can see as you read scripture how weighted down he gets. And the Bible says he gets exceedingly sorrowful. That the, the, the weight of sin begins to settle in on him. He has moved. He, he and his disciples, have, have, they have instituted the, 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 the concept and the foundation of of, of, of communion and they have went into the garden to pray and I believe that along that time that undoubtedly there begins to be this occurrence where God begins to place on him the sin of the world this is a man that had committed no sin never committed a sin you know what I thought about this I thought about who was it that that was it Mike or Cameron that brought up about the girl being called no, it was Mike Right? Brought up the girl being brought, you know, being, you know what, undoubtedly, probably she would. She probably stood, she was probably there lying in the ground in the dust, probably very little clothes on. And you know what thought prompted into my mind? 
that every single man that picked up a rock to throw it at him undoubtedly probably was battling or had lust in her heart for this woman. Undoubtedly, every single man that had a rock. But the only man that didn't, the only man that just, you know what, this man wasn't looking at her body. He was looking right at her eyes. And you know what I often think? I heard, uh, uh, heard one say this one time, that we've often talked about what in the world was he riding in the ground as he would kneel down and put his, f- put his finger down in the dust. But I think it's not even the issue. He got down to get with her on her level and to let her know you are forgiven and to let them know. I'll tell you what, you who's not got a sin, cast the first stone. And they're all sitting there with sin in their heart. And the Bible says that they all, they drop the rocks and they leave. And the Bible even notes this, that they leave from the oldest to the youngest. You know why? Because the oldest, the oldest had been in it longer. And they they felt even more guilt and condemnation than the younger, that they went away from oldest to least. Because standing in front of her was the man that was going to pay the price for every sin ever committed. He's going to pay the price for adultery. He's going to pay the price for addiction. He's going to pay the price for hatred. It's going to be laid upon him. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, if we can go there and put it up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. says this for he made him who knew no sin to be sin wow for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him he made him the father now, what you think about this? We often see this picture of a Savior bent over and a weight of sin on his back. It's not the actual. He was, there was no weight of sin on him. He became sin. He was the embodiment of sin. One of the greatest pictures and typologies we find of this in the Old Testament. Do you remember when the, when the Israelites, when they were out in the wilderness and they were complaining and grumbling against Moses that they began to be attacked by serpents and Moses told, God told Moses, I'll tell you what to do to fix this. He said, take a, uh, uh, create a brazen serpent and put it on a pole and everyone that looks upon that serpent shall live. That serpent, that serpent often represents Satan satanic activity that serpent and here's what God was saying I'm going to take my son and I'm going to make him I'm going to lay upon him every awful act of the very nature of sin and every awful thing I'm going to lay upon him and when you look to him you shall live the Bible says he was made sin he did more than just bear our sin He was made into the very image, the very character, the very essence of sin. So why are we often still beholding to sin? Because I want want you to realize that sin has been, sin's power and sin's force has been taken away. Amen? Amen? Sin's power and sin's force has been taken away through Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Go to Hebrews with me. Hebrews chapter 10. 
Hebrews 10, verse 11 says this. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, you see, the best the Old Testament had to offer was a man that would do it every day, repeatedly, day in and day out, making offerings for sins. But this is not our Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. This is not our Jesus. But this man, after he had offered one, everybody say one. One sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnessed for after that he had said before, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and my minds and, and in their minds and I will write them. Then he adds, their, listen to this, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Let me tell you something, church. It's time we quit beholding sin. It's time we quit holding sin in some great place of authority because it has been taken away through our great Savior and Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ as we come into a faith loving relationship with him why do we spend so much time beholding sin when we should be holding the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world the Bible says it's clear he took it away once and for all and when you're in Christ listen to this oh thank you Holy Spirit when you are hidden in Christ you are hidden in perfection you are hid, hidden in perfect righteousness. You are hidden in perfect holiness. When you are in Christ, hallelujah, when you are in Christ, God sees you as perfect. God sees you just as he sees his son. That's how he sees the man and the woman that are established and firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Y'all need to come alive a little bit. Y'all think it's a funeral. Is this a funeral? Lord have mercy. We might need to get Pops on conference call, Mama. We got to put him on conference call. I need to liven this place up a little bit. It's too quiet in here. Hallelujah. He is alive. Now listen, not only was sin's price paid, listen to this, sin's demands were met. Sin's demands were met. You see, let me tell you something. There's certain things. When you live a life of sin, when you live a life dominated by sin, there are going to be certain things that happen. I don't care who you are. I don't care who your mom and daddy are. I don't care who your grandparents were. I don't care what church you have your name on its roster. Do you hear me? When we choose to live a life of sin, then sin's going to bring certain things to us. It's going to bring alienation. It's going to bring shame. It's going to bring pain. Let me tell you something. Sin, sin will take you farther than you ever want to go. It'll lead you down a path you don't want to go down. And you think, here's what, here's, here is sin's trick. It presents to us a place of power. It presents to us a place of seeming freedom. But it's all just the... It presents to us a place of fellowship. But all of it is actually the actual opposite of all those things are true when it comes to living a life of sin. Because it brings alienation and shame 
and it brings great pain. Let me tell you something. Sin, let me, can I be honest? Sin ages a person far past their age. Sin. My daddy-in-law says it like this. He looks up, he said they look like they've been rode hard and put up wet. Anybody ever heard that phrase? <laughs> Somebody daddy-in-law says they've been rode hard and put up wet. It's true. Sin. Sin takes a toll. Do you know literally in, in one of the great uh, artworks of the Bible, I forget who it was, it might have been, the, uh, oh, who was the guy that painted the Last Supper? Michelangelo, was it Angelo, Michelangelo, did the Last Supper? Da Vinci? We'll have a vote. How many of y'all think Da Vinci? Uh, da Vinci wins out. Okay. The, the very same guy, did y'all know, the very same man that's picture portrays Jesus is the very same man whose, whose picture is used to paint Judas. It was done much later. And evidently the story goes that this man, after Jesus's, after his face was used, this man began to fall into a decrepit life of sin. And the very same man is picked out to be the visage of the man that would betray the Lord. Sin will wear you out. Sin will take you, will take you farther than you want to go and put you in a place that you don't want to stay. Amen? But we are here to celebrate the fact that sin's price has been paid and its demands have been met. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 15, that sin, when it fully comes, when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. You see, death was a demand that had to be paid. That's why Jesus couldn't just be whipped. We know what his back, we know his back was whipped for the healing of our bodies. But when it came for the payment of our sin, it could not stop with the scourging. It had to be the cross. He had to go to the cross. He had to give his life for sin. Because every time when sin fully concedes, it will bring forth death. And if sin is left to run rampant in your life, it will bring forth death. It might seem pleasurable. Here's what the Bible says, that sin is pleasurable for a season. Right? It has pleasure. I'm not going to sit and lie to you. In the beginning, sin feels pretty good. You know what it does? It tantalizes your flesh. It gives you a sense of power. But all along, just let it work its thing. Because when sin works its thing, it brings forth death every single time. Death. But let me tell you something. My great Lord, our great Lord, suffered the death, not just the pain of the cross, but he suffered the death of the cross. Sin, he met sin's demand of death. I believe this every ounce of his blood. I believe, Alex, every single ounce of his blood would flow out from him. You know what? And the very little left that didn't flow out through, through the different punctures in his body, I believe the last ounce would flow out when his side would be riven. And the Bible says blood and water would pour out, signifying that his very heart would burst over the weight of sin, over the fact that sin, that he had be, not only was sin laid on him, but he had become sin. Jesus suffered death for us. 
he was laid into a grave. And I believe this. To, listen, here's another demand of sin. Here's another demand, and it was sacrifice. On the Day of Atonement, once every year, the high priest, as a, as a symbol, that, that the sin of Israel would be taken away. This was done. There were various types of sins, and all, but this was done one, one time a year. There was this temple, you see, and this temple had divisions, the great temple of God. There was the outer court, the inner court, and there was the Holy of Holies. And separating the, the inner court from the Holy of Holies was a veil, a veil, a very thick veil. And one time a year, the high priest would enter into that veil with the blood of an animal. And the nation of Israel would wait expectantly outside, listing, 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 waiting to find out if the priest would come out and the sacrifice would be made. Do you remember what happened the very minute that Jesus died and the very minute he uttered these words, it is finished? The Bible tells us the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what I believe happened. That the moment Jesus gave up the ghost, the moment he died, that spiritually he went into heaven. He went into heaven and he took not the blood of an animal, not the blood of a goat, not the blood of a calf, but he took his own blood and he poured it out on the heavenly mercy seat. You see, the pouring out in the Old Testament was only for a year. Mama, they had to do it every year. But the Bible says, Brother Dan, once and for all, Jesus poured out his perfect, sinless, the blood of God himself poured out. You see, I want you to think about this. His blood was God's blood. It was not a man's blood. You know how I know? Because where do human beings get their blood? From their who? From their father. From their father's part in the reproductive process. People get their blood. That's another reason why man had to be left out of the circuit on this one. We had to be left out. Because coursing through Jesus' veins was not the blood of his father Joseph. Coursing through his veins was the blood of an almighty, perfect, holy, sinless God. It was poured out for you and for me. See, I'm making it real simple this morning. Make it, Jesus paid the price for sin. And every demand of sin was met through our great Lord. Every demand was met. You see, he went into the heavenly of heaven, the holy of holies, Sister Renee, and he poured out his blood upon the heavenly mercy seat. And then here's what happened. Let me tell you what, he didn't stop there. Everybody say he didn't stop there. Jimmy Nolan, I'm getting ready to preach what you like right now. He didn't stop there. Let me tell you what else he did. He, he poured out his blood in the heavens, but he didn't stop there because, listen, sin, not only does it bring forth death, but sin is cast into hell. Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. Some of these new-fashioned churches, some of these new-fashioned theology, they leave out this concept of hell. But Jesus preached an awful lot and talked an awful lot about hell. And I believe there's a hell. And it was never made for you and for me. It was never made for us. And let me tell you something. God so believed in that reality that hell was never meant for you that he went himself. See, now I'm talking about Saturday. Everybody say, there's Saturday. Say, Saturday, in between Friday and Sunday. 
Some of y'all left me. It's all right. So listen to me tell. It's in between. Listen, Saturday had significance. And during that, I don't know if it's actually on Saturday or what time, Friday or whatever. I don't know. But there's a process. And he offered his blood. And then I believe this. I believe it. I'll show you by scripture that he went into hell itself. Now let me show you. Ephesians. Go, I want to show you something. Well, look, look with me. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. I want you to see this. I know. Listen, it's okay if you're sitting in here. I don't believe that, preacher. Okay. Just let's think and let think. It's okay, and I don't care if you ever believe it. We'll still be brothers and sisters. Okay? But entertain me for a minute just to look at the Bible. And let's see. If I'm wrong, you know what? It's like me and Matthew were sitting there eating dinner the other night, Chelsea. We were sitting at dinner over at Applebee's, and, and he and I got a lot of differences, in, uh, some differences in our theology. And he looked at me and said, Dad, isn't it all that matters, though, is John 3.16? I said, yes, son, that's all that matters. And I'll tell you this morning, it's really all that matters, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes, everybody say believe. Do you believe this morning? Jimmy, I need to clean up my life. I've made a mess of things. I've made a mess of my life. I've made a mess of my marriage. I've made a mess of my workplace. I have made a mess of things. Forget all that. Do you believe? I need to fix it. You can't fix it. You need to fix one thing, and that's believing. You need to fix one thing this morning. And that's putting your faith and your trust no longer in yourself, no longer in your deeds, no longer in your ability, in your ability to do what you think could satisfy God. But you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now look what it says, Ephesians chapter 4. I want to show you what he did for you and me. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. When he went up, we know what he did. But look, look what it says next. Now this, he ascended. Everybody say, go up. He that ascended, what does it mean but that he also first? Everybody say, first. You see, they would watch him ascend into the heavens. They would watch him go. And he'd say, I'm coming back again for you. But till then, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. He said, he that ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. Listen, that he might feel all things that he might accomplish all things you see sin has one end and it's to dwell in the pit of hell and our lord our great conquering champion walked into hell itself to get something that was his what's the next thing what are you gonna ask me what are you gonna ask me what are you gonna get let me show you before he did, let me look at this. Let me show you something else. Go to Colossians. Y'all get it in a minute. I, I'm, hey, listen, I haven't ate all day. I'm as hungry as you all are. Okay, so if y'all encourage me, it'll get me done quicker. Okay, go to Colossians. <laughs> go to Colossians chapter 2. Is this any good? All right. I'm with them. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. 
and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Listen to this. And having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was, which was contrary to us. How did he do it? And he has taken it out of the way. How did he do that? Having nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers. What is that? Satanic activity. It has been disarmed. Well, brother, you don't know I am under attack. You might be under attack, but you know what? This is a battle of knowledge because the Word tells us no matter what's attacking you, it has been disarmed. When Jesus did what he did through the process of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Satan's power, when it comes to you, was disarmed, and his power was stripped bare when it comes to his people. So now it's like Paul says. You know what it is? See, we all, man, I'm battling Satan. You're battling the wrong thing. And you need to quit battling Satan. Paul says this, fight the good fight of faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what? I hear so many people, and they get to, they're always under Satan's thumb. You know why you're under Satan's thumb? Because you're battling Satan. Jesus battled Satan and defeated him 2,000 years ago. You are in the glory of that victory. Hallelujah. If you're battling Satan and you're under his thumb, you're on the wrong battlefield, honey, and you're deceived. Amen? That's what it says. It says, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He made a public spectacle. A public spectacle. What that is is a picture of a Roman parade, of the Romans dragging their enemies through the street. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe that Jesus entered into hell's portals, and he grabbed Satan up by the scruff of the neck, and he said, you've got something that belongs to me. You've got something that's mine, and you're going to give it back. You've got something that my little brother Adam handed over to you. How did he hand it over to you? The same way we all hand things over to him, because we believe his lies. You believe the lie and not the word. That's what we've been trying to preach for the last two or three weeks. For example, we bought, buy into it that our body's sick and it's not going to recover. You are believing into a lie. That's not the word of God. And when you believe into a lie, when you sink your belief, you sink your personality, you sink your mental processes into a lie, you will get what the lie has to offer. But I tell you, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold him. He is our answer. He's our solution. I believe that he took Satan, he drug him right through the very alleyways of hell to let everybody, let all of hell know, I am the champion. I am the champion. And let me tell you something, not only is he our savior, but the Bible also says this, he's our forerunner. What's that mean? That means that what he did, you can do also. What he did, it, it was done as an example to us that he is our forerunner. He's our elder brother. You know, I like that elder brother thing. 
I'll tell you what, he's not here this morning. My boy Matthew, he was a great older brother to my son Caleb. And all that Caleb's done most of his life, he's been doing to keep up with Matthew. And it's worked. It's been a good thing. Because younger brothers kept up, has attempted to keep up with older brother. And it's the same way with Jesus. Jesus didn't come just to do things. He, we, we do worship him. And that's we should worship him. But the things he did were not just to be worshipped. They were to be done by us as he did them. That's why he said... I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and greater works you shall do because I go to my Father. Somebody say amen. amen. So you still ain't told me what he got. Well, I'm going to show you. Go to Revelation. I'm just about done. Go to Revelation, chapter 1. Boy, I'm sweating like a... I'm, I left my coat on today. It's too late to take it off now. Revelation 1, verse 17. And when I saw him, this is John, the beloved. He said, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me. Wow. Saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. Here it is, you all. Lives and was dead. This Friday, he lived. Friday, he died. Lived. And was dead. And behold, I am alive. Everybody shout alive. alive. I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Everybody say the keys. <laughs> he's got the keys. Somebody say he's got the keys. He's got the keys to your he's got the keys to your happiness. He's got the keys to joy unspeakable. He's got the keys to a life and life more abundant. He's got the keys to a life you've only dreamed of. A life that's in Christ. Hallelujah. He's got the keys that Adam handed over to him in one garden. And Jesus began the process of taking them back out of another garden. Do you hear me? The keys that Satan held. You see, he took the keys. He had them down. Listen, he had them down in his safe, Josh. He had them in a safe, had them under lock and key. But when Jesus entered into hell, it shook so hard, it shook the door right off of Satan's safe. And he had to give up those keys and place them back in the hands of Jesus. What do keys represent? They represent authority. You see, and Satan, the authority that Adam had, he handed over to G he handed over to Satan. But listen to this, Satan, Jesus came and took the keys back. We say, well, that's fine and dandy. How, that help, how does that help me? Let me tell you how it helps you. Because when Jesus, before he would go back to heaven, you see, he didn't need that authority in heaven. We needed it on earth. So here's what he said. Somebody say, show me the keys. Here's what he did. He said, now, I'm going to give you my name. And I'm going to encapsulate everything the keys of death and hell are and what they do and what they, I'm going to pour it into the very utterance of my name. And that's why. 
Paul would say that there is not a name uttered in all of heaven or earth or under the earth or anywhere in this universe with more power than the name of Jesus. And that's why when, when all life and hell and everything else is throwing its best, throwing its best curveball or even its best fastball upside your head, God has given you the name of Jesus to take and to use and to overcome every time. Woo! Last thing, and I'm done. Sin's price was paid. Sin's demands were met. And the resurrection is proof positive that the Father accepts it and all is done. The resurrection was proof positive. Last scripture, go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Hallelujah. Chapter 4, verse 23. i tell you what, very quietly, I want the worship team to come on back. Very quietly, if you can. Boys, I hate you have to leave your children. Right now, do this. Thank you for doing it, though. Listen to what it says. You see, can I tell you something? I'm going to give you a little commercial right now. All that I do, the most joyful thing I see in church is with a man and woman sitting there with their children, with their arms around their children. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you what, the most important thing you can do is to pass your faith down. The most important thing you can do is to play, is to encapsulate your faith into your child. Hallelujah. Now listen to this. Romans 4, verse 20, verse 23. Let me start there. 4, verse 23. Now it was written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But also for us. Now here, now listen to this. It shall be imputed to us, what? Righteousness. Verse 22, it says, and therefore it was accounted to him for Righteousness. It shall be imputed to us who believe. Everybody say righteousness. In him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. There it is. Everybody say resurrection. Now listen. Here it is explained. Here it is. Who was delivered up because of our offenses. Where was he delivered up to? He was delivered up upon the what? The cross. For our sin. But listen. Listen to this. But he was raised because, everybody say raised. What is that? That's the resurrection. He was raised for our justification. Everybody say justification. This word justification is a Greek word, diaxos, diaxos, and here's what it means. This is what, let me give you this imagery. Has anybody ever stood before a judge? Anybody in this room ever stood before a judge? Hallelujah. Rusty, you know something about this because it just happened in your case. It was just happening. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine there's every reason to put you away for good. There's all the evidence lines up and everything's in place to place you behind bars for the rest of your life. Life. But all of a sudden, 
there steps up a lawyer with nail prints in his hands and his feet. And he says, I've got something to say on this matter. The judge more than listens to his words, observes the deeds of this great lawyer named Jesus Christ, our great advocate. And here's what he does, y'all. Everybody say, what did he do? Here's what this word justification is. Here's the picture. The gavel falls. What is that little thing, Wallace, that sits there you beat? Has that got a name for that? That little piece of wood? You know what I'm talking about, though. Now, Wallace, y'all know he's not he's the judge executive. He oversees the county. He's not that kind of judge. But he knows. He's in courtrooms all the time. But when the gavel falls and the judge pronounces his sentence, that's what that word means. The Bible says he was delivered up for your sins, but he was raised for your justification. When Jesus came out of the grave, Dan, here's what happens. Here's what happened. Here was the power of it. Here was the power that made the Roman soldiers so afraid they literally fell down as dead men. It was the power of God's gavel falling down to the judgment seat. His gavel falling and hitting, boom, boom, boom. And the Father says this, not guilty, go free. I accept the sacrifice that was paid. You understand? When he came out of the grave, that's when the gavel falls. And God says, I accept. I accept what you did for them. Now they're going to go free. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, we invite you to make that decision today. Or if you're just searching for the next step that God has for you, visit our website at cwcirvinky.com. There you'll find resources to help you with your specific needs. If this ministry has touched your life in any way, send us an email at connect at cwcirvinky.com and take a minute to share your story with us. We would love to hear from you about how God has changed your life. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that God would continue to bless you throughout the rest of your week.